New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Okay, hello, New Horizon. Everybody feeling all right tonight? Ready to go? If you have a copy of your scriptures, we are in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I want to read to you a couple verses, and then we'll jump in. Philippians chapter 4 Uh, beginning in verse 6. And while you're turning there, just by way of update, uh, I would like to give an announcement here at New Horizons. As of about 4 o'clock this afternoon, I have had a poke on the strand. So I can't tell you how illegal that sounds in America, but that looks safe. Now, I keep being told about crack and where is the crack and et cetera, and uh, I just can't go there. And in D.C., crack will get you arrested. So uh, I don't know what it means, but anyway. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, uh, says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, Father, we just say we need that. We, we need the God of peace with us, and I need that. I feel that tonight. I need you with us, and so I just ask you now, God, rescue us from just attending a service, but I pray, Father, you would do as you've done, I believe, many times before. You would use New Horizon in this moment around your word as a vehicle to deliver your truth into our mind, your peace into our heart, and that our lives would change. So, Lord, I'm asking for a complete renovation of lives tonight in this room before we're done, and I can't create that. If anything, I I feel my need for your grace tonight. And I just want to ask you again, family, if you're up for it, and Again, some of you, this is normal. Some of you, maybe it's new for you, but I just want to invite you, if you're willing, you talk to God and you ask him. Say, Lord, please teach me tonight. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, some buddies of mine and I decided to hike down into the Grand Canyon. Uh, It takes about a day to hike all the way down into the bottom of it. We spent a full day down there, and then it takes a little bit more to hike all the way out. And so we made it down the first day, wore out some of the boys, but I remember as we got to the bottom that next day, I woke up and I had read about a waterfall about six miles further into the canyon that I really wanted to go see. It would have been a bit of a long hike, six miles in and six miles out, but I was up for it. And so I told my buddies, let's go see this waterfall. And uniformly they said, no, not a chance. We are going to sit and do nothing. 
And that hurt my feelings a little bit. Uh, and so I was a little frustrated. I went to walk it off towards the direction of the waterfall. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just thought, you know, I'm going to walk and see how I feel. And so I started walking and I was talking to the Lord about how lame my friends were. And then it just turned into reflecting on what a beautiful day it was, talking to God about my life. And, and it actually kind of became this cool communion thing as we were walking. And as we did, I'm like, this is a beautiful day. I'm just going to do it, man. I'm just going to walk to this waterfall. And so I'm walking to this waterfall with the Lord. It's a beautiful day. And then it strikes me, I have no long, idea how long I've been walking. Uh, I don't have a phone with me. I don't have a watch with me. And I can't see the sun. I'm in a canyon. How long have I been down here? And how long is six miles anyway? Like, I don't know. Am I well, a third of the way there? Half of the way there? I'm not sure. I'm uncertain. And then I realized, man, I didn't bring any water. I didn't bring any food. I brought nothing. It's just me in a canyon. And I thought, but I don't want to give up. I, I'm just going to walk faster. And so I just kind of started power walking <laughs> towards this waterfall. And as I did it, there was a couple I saw in front of me, this young couple walking, and I just came blazing up behind them. And as I did it, I walked up to them and they were like, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? And I was like, man, I'm trying to get to this waterfall. And they're like, hey, we're going too. Do you want to walk with us? And in my mind, I'm like, absolutely not. You're way too slow. I got things I got to do. And so I was like, oh, actually, I got a bit of a thing. I got to go. And I was like, do you know where it is? And they're like, yeah, it's just up here on the left. I'm like, oh, good. It's just up here. Okay, bye. And I just took off and like, boom, left them in the dust, kept going. I'm like, okay, it's just up here. It's going to be up here any minute. It's going to be great. And then the longer I walked, I'm like, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. This is going to be a problem. Am I going to get back in time before it's dark? This is kind of freaking me out. I'd better run. And so I just start running. And I start running through the canyon like, surely I'm going to see this thing any minute. And as I'm running, I still don't see it. And then I realize, what if I passed it? If I passed it, then I'm just running into a canyon, just running into the unknown. It's going to be days before they find the body. Like, this is a nightmare. I should have seen it by now. I'm lost in a canyon. I start panicking. And then I realize... I gotta get to higher ground, I lack perspective. So I start climbing up this cliff and as I climb up this cliff, I get up there and I startle a deer uh, and really we startle each other. And so I just kind of turn and he goes, ah, and I'm like, ah! And as I do that, I slip and fall backwards and my hand drives into a thorn bush and a thorn goes deep into the meat of my hand. And as it does that, I pull my hand back and so I start stumbling down the cliff. And as I roll down this cliff, suddenly I'm covered with dust and covered with blood and I'm freaking out because I don't know where I am and I'm gonna die. And as I'm panicking, I hear the distant crash of a waterfall. <laughs> and so I turn the corner and walk into this lovely little cove where this water's streaming down from several feet above into this little pool. And there sitting beside this pool having a lovely lunch is the couple that I went blazing past <laughs> earlier. And as I'm standing there covered in dust and blood, they can't uh, disguise their shock. They're like, what happened to you? And I couldn't play it off. I couldn't be like, well, it was, I got in this scuffle with a bull. I mean, like, there's no answer. I'm like, well, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, freaking out. I just freaked out and uh, have made a mess of myself. And they were like, well, come over here. And they got to clean some of the dust off and bandage my wounds and share their lunch and just give me a, just a nice, lovely dose of humility uh, about the reality that I had completely succumbed to my anxiety. Now, why do I mention that? Because I don't think I'm the only person in this room who's ever freaked out. And look, 
You've landed in the right place. You made it where you intended to go. You're here at New Horizon. My hope is you're here to learn about the Lord, to to get in tune with what you're made for, that I'm made to know him and enjoy him and walk with him. But if we're honest in here, I think a lot of us showed up covered with the dust and blood of our own freaking out. And the reality is anxiety is an issue in our day today that's messing with us. And in the relatively safest time in history for human beings to live, we are shot through with a sense of anxiety in our generation. And for many of us, if we're honest, you go, well, Ben, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know that I've got to get a job and I've got to get this right major in my university so I can make the right grades and so I can get into the right internship so I can get the right college so I can get the right job, but then I've got to move to the city and then I've got to pay bills and there's a lot of bills so I've got to get a roommate and I've got to get roommates and I've got roommate drama and then I'm trying to meet someone and I'm trying to get married and I'm scared of being alone and I'm scared of being married and you start to feel this panic you don't know, but the reality is for many of us, our problems are not our greatest problem. Our anxiety about our problems is our greatest problem. And why I bring this up tonight is this. Here's my great fear here is that one of the enemy's great tactics to keep you from intimacy with the Almighty is to fill you with anxiety. Jesus warned us about this. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God. And do you see the contrast there? Jesus contrasts anxiety and seeking the kingdom of God. He presents anxiety about food and clothing and provision and bills and those sorts of things as our great impediment against fulfilling our God-given destiny. And one of the ways the enemy wants to keep you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life is to fill you with anxiety. And I'll I'll be honest with you, one, one of my greatest fears about this is something Jesus warned us about in Luke 8. Luke 8, Jesus uses this story. It's a great imagery about uh, what he's trying to do. He said, I'm taking my word and my word's like a seed. And he said, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna scatter it out in crowds like this. And he said, I wanna see this seed plant deep into your heart. And then he starts saying, there's different kinds of soils out here. And he says, some soils, man, as soon as the word lands on it, birds take it away. Others, it begins to grow a little bit, but the sun scorches it and it's dead. He said, and then some, the the, the seed plants and it begins to grow a little bit, but weeds come and choke it out and it's never fruitful. And then some grow and produce a harvest. And his disciples ask him later, hey, what was that story about? And he says, that seed is my word. The soil is your soul. I want to plant my word in your soul and I want it to explode into life. Fruit that's beautiful for you and of benefit to all those around you. And he said, but there's a danger. And that third danger is the weed. They say, what is the weed that can choke out the word of life? And he says, that weed is the worries of this life. That for many of us, if I'm honest, Hey, the worries of this life are choking out the word of life. And some of you, you've maybe gone to church your whole life, but you've never really sensed a power spiritually in your own life. And if I can be honest, for many of us, I think it's because our worries in this life are choking out the word of life. And what scares me about that is anxiety is a condition of the heart that will lead to many other sinful states of mind. Anxiety about grades will lead you to be dishonest. In the States, there was a study done by Rutgers of 32 universities, and they found that 74% of business students and 68% of all other students admitted to some form of cheating, which I don't know why the business students uh, had such a higher number. I don't know if they actually cheat more or if they're just more honest about it. They're like, of course I cheat. That's how I get ahead. I don't know. 
But for many of us, this anxiety about grades will lead you to cheat. Anxiety about uh, your schedule will lead you to break your word and be dishonest. Anxiety about dating will lead you to compromise and date a loser. Anxiety about finances will lead you to be unethical. Anxiety about being accepted by people will lead you to embellish stories and act weird at parties. For many of us, anxiety will lead us to some very destructive ways of living socially. And if we continue to be anxious, we'll try to drown those intolerable feelings in all manner of addictions. And here's the sad thing is that anxiety can literally kill you. Uh, I remember for me once when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I was taking a shower and suddenly in the shower, I felt this pain in my chest like someone was trying to cave my chest in. And I was having trouble breathing and I was starting to freak out. I'm like, what is going on? And then I thought, is this what heartburn feels like? Because I'd never had it. And then I thought, wait, is this the barbecue? Because I had been eating off this plate of barbecue for about a week and a half in the fridge. And uh, I thought... What a stupid way to die. And then I started praying that, like, God, don't let me go out like this. Like, I don't want my roommates to find me in the shower. And then at the funeral, people are like, how did he go? Barbecue. He ate way past the due date. So irresponsible. I was like, Lord, no. And so I survived it. But for days, it was so hard to breathe. I was having so much trouble doing anything. And so finally, I went to the doctor. And I remember as I went to the doctor, he asked me, and I was around 19, 20. He said, hey, do you drink? I said, no. He said, do you smoke? I said, no. He said, are you stressed? And I said, no. And he looked at me a little curious. I'm like, well... I'm worried about my grades, and I'm worried about my major, and I'm worried about what I'm going to study, and I'm worried about this girl I'm dating. I'm worried if she's the one, and I'm scared of commitment. I'm worried if she's not the one. I'm scared of being alone. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> He's like, that's your problem, man. You're stressed. You need to calm down because it's affecting your heart. And for many of you, if I can be honest with you, hypothetical situations are literally killing you. And so we need to get this right. And I'll tell you, particularly if you're young in this room, People under the age of 25, you have the dubious honor of being the most anxious generation in recorded history. Particularly in, in, in my country, the United States, anxiety levels have been increasing every year since 2008. They skyrocketed over the last few years, particularly among young people. And now over 41% of Americans are recording clinical levels of anxiety. Uh, UCLA did a study of trends on college campuses in the U.S., and they found that the traditional buffers of stress have been removed, and so that over the last decade, they said young people, university students, are less religious and more stressed and depressed and alone and are increasingly turning to substances to numb the pain of their intolerable feelings. And let me tell you something. I'm not saying any of this to judge young people, right? There have been legitimate things for you to be anxious about, pandemics, political turmoil, et cetera. But really the big issue for us has been the advent of the internet, the iPhone, social media. That the onslaught of this new technology, the constant bombardment of fear and anger has impacted our ability to focus in the world. I mean, think about it. If you're 25, email came out the same year you did. Email. No one Googled before you were around. That would have sounded like an inappropriate word. No, we don't Google in this house, right? <laughs> and so think of all that's changed 
from YouTube to Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to TikTok, over and over, the constant bombardment. Dimitri Christakis is a pediatrician that studies the impact of media on children. And he says, we are in the midst of a large, uncontrolled experiment on this young generation. And the data is just now coming in that you feel less connected with God and more distressed, distracted, and anxious than any generation previously. And let me say this, I am not shaming you. You did not make these. These were handed to you when you were a baby. So this is not your fault, but it is your problem. And we have to figure out how to deal with it. And let me tell you, particularly as believers, the world will not be impressed when we sing about a prince of peace, but live lives of stress. They need to see a different way. And Jesus told his disciples, do not be anxious about anything. He says, my people should be characterized by a lack of anxiety. It's interesting. There's a book, The Cities and Bishoprics of Phrygia, which I know you've read, but by way of review, uh, they found an inscription in the ancient city of Phrygia of a man's name. His name was Tididios Amarimnos. And all scholars agree that Amarimnos was not his last name. It was a baptismal name, that it was common when you were baptized to, to give you a new name that sort of represents your new personality in Christ. Like Barnabas was not his given name. And so Tididios Amarimnos. That word Amarimnos means Tididios, not worried about stuff. That when he came to Christ, they said the impact of Jesus' presence in your life is you take no thought of the morrow. Or as the Proverbs 31 woman, you laugh at the days to come. The people of Jesus have the possibility of not being an anxious people. That's powerful. How do we do that? Well, let's look at this passage. And you see in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Isn't that great? That anxiety is never godly. Now, let me stress in that, that word anxiety in Greek, the root of that word is to be distracted or drawn in different directions. And so in our modern culture, we use the word anxiety to cover a broad host of issues, including some very real medical issues. And I don't want to diminish by saying this, the value of seeking wise counsel or medical care. But what I'm saying is I think all of us in this room have felt that experience where you can't really lock in on anything because you're so distracted by everything. And here Paul says, there is never a circumstance presented to you by God that you are obligated to worry about. And that doesn't mean you don't care, but it means the scalp-drying, shoulder-tensing, heart-palpitating ways we think we're supposed to shoulder our responsibilities. He said, hey, I've given you some responsibilities, but I don't want you to carry them that way. Be anxious for no thing." But rather, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you see the parallel? Be anxious about no thing, but with everything, let your request be made known to God. So I apply anxiety to no thing in my life, but I apply prayer to everything in my life. Now, we're going to cover some steps here in a minute, but let me focus on this here. I know some of you hear that and you go... Wow, that's your answer, Ben? Hey, pray more? Thanks, bro. I got some real things going on. You're like, just pray more, come on. But before you dismiss my points I'm about to say, you need to acknowledge we all take our anxiety somewhere. We all have a way to deal with our anxieties. How's your system working for you? What would your verse say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, rush to the pantry and eat all the snacks. 
Many of us, we don't take our fears to the prayer. We take it to the pantry, right? I bring it to the kitchen. And let me tell you this, I'm not judging you, okay? When my wife and I launched Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., somebody asked us early in the process, said, hey, what have you guys been eating lately? And without hesitation, my wife said, our feelings. I was like, yeah, that's right, yeah. So we get it. I know what that's like. But for many of us, man, we take our anxieties to the kitchen rather than taking those cares to the Lord, right? Or others of us say, hey, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, find anything on your phone to distract you. And the crazy thing about that is we go to these devices to distract us from intolerable feelings, and actually they often end up exacerbating those same anxieties. Isn't that strange? That what we're looking to give us freedom is actually bringing us even more slavery. And so it's fascinating. There's so many secular studies right now out there in the world where they're saying, hey, we're seeing anxiety being a problem. And as they're studying human beings, they say, you know, one of the greatest antidotes is meditation and gratitude. You see that in so many secular studies now, meditation and gratitude. And I would submit to you that modern science is stumbling backwards into a promise we've had long ago of what it is to walk the paths of peace with our God. How do we do it? Let me give you three things. Number one is we release our worries to the Lord. I release my worries to the Lord. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We'll talk about how in a minute, but I just want to point out something I love, that the verb is in the passive voice. It's not a command, make your request known to God. It says, let your request be made known to God. It carries the idea that they want to come out, you just got to let them out, right? Uh, it's interesting. I, I would imagine there's maybe some of you in, this in here that when you wake up in the morning, your soul is just a placid lake, just a calm, serene pool, and you wake up just excited about the world of possibility before you. You wake up going, another chance to glorify my Savior? Yes. And off you go. But for many of us, we wake up and the weight of all the fears and uncertainties of yesterday and tomorrow are already on our chest, right? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with this relationship? How am I going to solve this problem? Where am I going with my life? How am I going to solve this? What's going to happen with my kids? All these kind of things come up to us. And what do you do? All that anxiety is pressing in on you and you go, I ain't got time for this. I got to go to work. I got things to do. What do I do with these feelings? I'll tell you what I do. I eat them and I stuff them down deep inside. And you just get ready for work and you stuff those feelings inside like a beach ball underwater, right? And then you walk out and all, you got all these just anger and rage and fear and uncertainty underneath and you're pushing it down and someone asks you, how you doing? You're like, fine, fantastic, couldn't be better. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> and while you're doing that, you're just a slip away from that ball coming up and smacking you in the face. <laughs> and what I love about the Bible here is, is it's not shaming you for that. It's inviting you. Hey, we know you have them. We know you have anxieties. Don't stuff them down. Don't deny it. Don't be fake. Let them rise. He says, bring them forward, but not maybe to everybody. How you doing today? Well, I'm scared about my parents. I'm scared about my kids. And whoa, 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 too much information. I'm not friends with you. So I'm not saying do it with everybody. But he says, let your request be made known to God. That's what's beautiful about this passage. He's inviting you to share it with him. And for many of us, we don't go to our devices for information. We go to distraction. There's something we're worried about and afraid about, so we try to not think about it. And so we distract ourselves from it. But when we just distract ourselves, we don't come up with solutions. So we never move forward. 
And then we feel a sense of existential angst that my life isn't moving forward and it begins to tyrannize us. In the past, meditation and prayer were the pathways to insight and innovation. Think about what used to happen in your car when you were sitting at a stoplight alone. It was just you and God. Or if you laid in bed at night, it was just you and God. Now it's you and whatever's happening on a phone. How many billions of prayers have been lost? And I'm not shaming you. It's not your fault, but it is our problem. And for many of us, that loss of meditation and supplication has led to a loss of innovation. And maybe it's time to put away the world and pick up the word and say, God, speak to me about what you want me to do with my life. I don't want distraction. I want devotion. So I let my request be made known to him. I release my worry. How? By prayer. That's a general term for saying, I make space in my day to have an honest interaction with God. Now, I know some of you hear that and you go, Ben, who's got time for that? I got a busy life. I got things I'm doing. Well, let me tell you an old military uh, sharpshooter uh, vernacular. They would say that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Uh, Guys that are sharpshooters in the military say, if you try to rush a shot, what happens? You may drop a clip. You may pull the trigger too fast. You're likely to miss your intended target. And so your rush makes you inaccurate. And so now you have to re-aim and actually trying to hurry takes more time. But if you slow yourself down, slow down your breathing, you can be more efficient. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And some of you, if we can be honest, you are busy, but you're not effective. You're like an octopus on roller skates. (laughs) Lots of movement, but not necessarily forward. And you would do better in life if you spent some moments being still. Often it's when we quiet the noise out here is when we realize how noisy we are within. And so he says here, I want you to take space in your day, find a moment for you to steal away and be honest with God about what's in your heart by prayer and supplication. Supplication is a specific word about making requests. I let him know what's going on with me. I remember there was a a movie I watched in high school once years ago, and it was about mental health issues. And it was talking about a variety of issues. And then it told this really wild story of of the early days in America when they were building the railroads. There was an explosion, and the explosion sent a railroad spike through a man's forehead, and it shot out the top of his head. And he didn't die. But it severed his frontal lobe, so so he couldn't um, regulate what emotions he shared, right? And so as they were sort of depicting his story, they said he had no filter at all. When he was happy, he would sing. When he was mad, he would yell. And you see him in the streets like, you're cute. I hate you. I love you. And he's all over the place just kind of expressing what's ever inside. And that's how I pray now. I remember looking at that and I'm like, that's how I'm going to talk with God. I'm just going to be honest with him about what's inside. And it's fascinating for me. I journal every morning because writing out my thoughts to God helps me see them, helps me externalize them and put them on a page. And I laugh at all my Washington, D.C. folks that want to be in the halls of power. They're writing in their journals like they're a memoir, like today there are challenges, yet I shall overcome. You're like, oh, stop. Like no one's going to read this. Just open a journal and be honest with the Lord. And for me, what I've found is is I have to do this. I open a page with the Lord and I write at the top, how do you feel? Which for some people may sound silly. I think a lot of women, maybe you're like, you really don't know how you feel? No, I don't. I have trouble accessing my emotions. Some men have issues with that. 
And I have to think about that. How do I feel? And then I just write it down. Scared, anxious, frustrated. And then I do what King David taught us to do. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Do you hear what he's doing? He, he's querying his soul. Okay, my soul's downcast. It's not happy. Why? And he begins to ask his soul questions. And that's what I do. I spend some time in the morning and go, God, I'm worried about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm worried about that. And as I say that to him, I ask myself, why? I'm worried about this meeting. Why? Because I need it to go well. Why? Because I need these people to approve what I'm doing. Why? So I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. Why? So I'll look like a success. Why? So people will think I'm valuable. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A meeting is not where you're going to get your value. So yeah, there may be some important things to solve in this meeting, but that insecurity about your worth, man, that goes to the Lord, not to this meeting. And God gets to do heart work with me when I'm honest with him. And we're meant to do the same, that I come with him and I let my requests rise to him. I give him my heart. And as I do it, I do it with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Why do I do it with thanksgiving when I'm telling God all my problems? Because you get to tell your problems to God, the one who has the power to do something about it. Two of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. I love that because it's the same command for two different motivations. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he loves you. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he will never let the righteous fall. I love that. Deliver your anxieties to me. Why? Because I'm strong enough to deal with them and I'm loving enough to want to. That's what your God says to you. That's the invitation on the table today. Not out of some misplaced virtue, eat all your feelings. It's to present them to the king so he can do something with them. I remember when my oldest daughter was little, uh, we had staircase in our house and she was maybe like two or three and uh, I picked her up to carry her up the stairs. And I remember when I picked her up, she goes, no, 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 no. And I'm like, why are you saying no? And she goes, I'm too heavy, daddy. And I remember I was like, uh, A, who told you that? That you're too heavy. And then I looked at her and I said, you're not too heavy for daddy, baby. And then I pressed her a few times, just so she could see. Like, look, your dad's, your dad's been trying, okay? It may feel heavy to you. It's not too heavy for him. The things that terrify you do not terrify him. The things that are too big for you are not too big to him. And he's telling you, bring them to me. Fear not, little flock, is what Jesus said. I love that. He isn't shaming them. He's just making them understand you're vulnerable. You're sheep. Sheep are vulnerable animals. They have no natural defenses, right? They, they can't bite. They, they can't run fast. Even lizards can go... When that little red thing comes out, and you're like, oh, I don't want to touch that. What is that, right? Sheep are just nature's victims, <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, that's you. You're so limited. But don't fear, little flock, because even a sheep is strong in the presence of their shepherd. You don't need to be scared. Why? Not because you're big, because I am. So bring those fears to me, because I love you, and I'm strong enough to carry you. And when you get that right, that your God loves you and he wants to carry you. It says the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, is beyond my comprehension, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. God is offering to guard your mind and guard your heart. 
Abraham Lincoln, when General Lee marched his army of 76,000 troops into Pennsylvania, panicked to cold in Washington, D.C. Yet observers report that in that moment of crisis during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln displayed an eerie amount of calm. And he was asked about it later by a general who was wounded at Gettysburg. How were you able to be so calm? And Lincoln said to him, when everyone seemed panic-stricken, I went to my room. I got down on my knees before Almighty God, and I prayed. And soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his hands. Now, did prayer release Abraham Lincoln from having to make decisions? No, but it did free him up to make good decisions. Anxiety will motivate you, but often not in the best directions. And here, when you cast your cares upon the Lord, that doesn't liberate you from having to make decisions, but it does free you up from fear to focus. It frees you up to make good decisions. And yet releasing our worries is not enough. I'm not just saying, hey, we just sort of try to deliver everything to the Lord and become an empty shell. That's where a lot of modern spiritualism ends, but that's only where we begin. He moves on to point two, and he says, after I release my worries, then I have to embrace his word. I'm letting go of one thing, and I'm pulling close another. I'm releasing my worries to the Lord, and then I'm pulling his word into my mind. He says in verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I know for me, whenever I tried to have a quiet time or devotional time, when I'm stressed, wake up in the morning and I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, like I'm trying to get to work, I'm trying to do stuff, God does this, that's weird, okay, and then you go and like, did that change your life? So I have to stop and tell him, here's everything going on inside me and sort of vomit up the uncontrolled emotion. And after I do that, it's like my mind can focus. Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, the great Puritan, said it this way. He said, you don't pour wine into a shaky bottle. I just love that imagery, right? Hey, you want some wine? Sure. <laughs> easy, love, easy, right? He said, you don't pour wine into a shaky bottle. He said, still the bottle, and then you can pour it in. And he said, it's the same with the blessings of God. God wants to bless you, but he wants you to be still with him first. You're like this with your kids. What happens when your children come to you and want something from you? I want a snack, 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 stop. Take it easy, take a breath. You gonna starve? Anyone ever starved in this house? Are you in jeopardy of starving? then take a deep breath and ask nicely. Why do you make them do that? Even when you want to give them a snack? Because it honors you when they stop freaking out, right? It shows that they believe you can provide. And he says, hey, I still myself before the Lord so then I can come and receive from him. And for many of us, the most Christian thing you'll do this week is cast your cares upon him and find as you do that, your soul can become like still waters. And into those waters, he wants to plant and root some beautiful things that can grow. But I need to fix my mind on honorable, true, just, and pure things. One of my greatest concerns about this young generation is we spend, on average in America, seven to eight hours a week, or excuse me, a day, staring at a screen. Two and a half hours on our phone. Not on a TV, not on a laptop, on a phone. Two and a half hours a day. We spend maybe 30 minutes a week listening to a sermon. 
And so our mind is soaking in chaos and we wonder why we're anxious. And here we have a remedy. I wanna put the worries of this life down and I wanna pick the word of God up. And I've been challenging my young people with some statements that I needed for me. Scripture before social media. More scripture than social media. Pray before you post. In the early days of the pandemic, I did what most leaders did. I was trying to get all this information so I could make informed decisions. So I would wake up every morning and just turn on the news, listen to the news, read the news. And then I realized I was starting to get really stressed. Like my chest would tighten, shoulders would tighten. And I was like, you know what? I'm waking up and just letting the chaos of the world in. And I thought, I need to stop doing that. So I would wake up in the morning, not look at my phone, and I would take a walk in the woods with the Lord. And as I communed with the God and talked to him and read his word, then I could engage the world and I had something holy to bring to the chaos. I had a word for my people. And for many of you, you've been feasting on chaos and wondering why you're disturbed and yet Paul's offering us a different way. I release those anxieties so I can embrace his word. Uh, for me in college, I, I realized I'd been a Christian for years and never really studied the word of God. And yet after I graduated from college, I was a single guy living in my apartment and, and I had a TV and I would be like, I really want to study the word of God, but TVs are compelling. So I would just watch it. And after a while I was like, you know, TVs aren't evil. We have one in our house now, but I was like, man, I want to study the word of God. This TV keeps distracting me. I got rid of it. I got all the screens out of my house and I went analog, man. I grabbed a notebook and a Bible and I would write out books of the Bible by hand. And it would take a very long time. And I could do maybe two verses a day. And I'd write them out in one color, then write out Ben's emotions in a different color around them, letting my heart bend around the word of God. And then I'd put it away and then start back the next day. And it's fascinating, man. I've had many people come up to me since then. When I preach sermons, they'll be like, I can tell you've been to seminary. You really know how to exegete that text. And I said, I have been to seminary and I did learn to exegete. But what you just heard that came out of the still and quiet place when I was 20 years old, me and God over his word because I wanted to know it. I release my worries. I embrace his word, right? For me now, I have an ABC is the way I think of it. I acknowledge my feelings. I acknowledge them, they're valid. I don't let them drive, but I acknowledge my feelings. And then I breathe. Uh, I had a Navy SEAL and a counselor both encouraged me at the same time to get this app that helps you control your breathing. And I thought, if that's coming from both directions, I should probably check it out. And so I have this little clip on my ear and I'll open up my phone and it has this little wheel. I'll spare you the details, but it, but it, it measures coherence, how focused you are. And red is bad and green is good. And when I start with it on, it's not just red. It has like an ominous tone. Like when I put it on, like it'll start red and it'll go, dung. And it's just like failure. And I'm like, yeah, I am a little distracted, to be honest. And if you try to turn it green, it just gets redder and angrier. And what I learned is you have to think of a wonderful thought. You just have to think of, you have to think about things that are honorable and true and lovely. You know, the first time I ever turned it green, I was like, what can I think about that's happy when the world's gone mad? And I started thinking about my daughter's laugh. Ding. The more I started thinking about it, ding. I'm like, okay, all right. And uh, the more I started thinking about things that are lovely and beautiful, it began to change. Heart rate dropped, I could focus, and I was actually more productive at work. And so I do it all the time. I acknowledge my emotions, don't let them drive. I breathe, 
focus. And then C is I consider the word of God. I let him speak to me. Uh, I had a friend on my staff. She has a, a disease that will, will um, likely take her life. And, and it, this was years ago. She was on my team. And, and I remember there was one week where it was touch and go, whether she was going to make it. But she showed up at work that next week. And, and we kind of were trying to read the room, like, will this be a somber moment? But as she came in, she was bubbly and upbeat. I'm like, what's going on? She was like, oh my gosh, it's been a terrible week. Like I physically felt terrible, but I was reading this book about a chaplain who had a heart disease that was gonna kill him, but he wanted to use his last moments to honor God even through his pain. And the more I read about his story, the more inspired it is about how I wanna use my life, whether God gives me five minutes or five years or 50 years, I wanna honor him. I've been so inspired, motivated. And I'm like, wow, you're an inspiration because you chose where to focus your mind that I'll release my worry and embrace his word. And then last, I don't just embrace his word, then I engage his work. In verse nine, it says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. Not just the peace of God with me, but the very God of peace will be with me. As I cast off anxiety, I'm gonna read his word and then I'm gonna walk with him in his steps. I'm gonna go where he leads. I remember for me, when I was right out of college, I started a youth ministry and I'd never had a youth pastor. I didn't know what one did. And I started to panic. I freaked out. I wasn't sure. And so I quit like a weekend. And I picked up my girlfriend and we drove to a retreat like this. We broke up on the way. So I dropped her off at her mom's house. <laughs> and I showed up at the retreat and a speaker spoke and I went to bed that night and I was like, God, I've given everything to you. And then I woke up bolt upright the next morning going, what have I done? And then I thought, was that about the girl or the job? I was like, no, nah, the girl, we needed to break up. It's about the job. And I felt like the Lord wants me to go back. And I thought, well, I don't know what to do. I really don't. And I had a friend encourage me, Ben, your life is about walking with the Lord. And your ministry will overflow out of that walk. You get that one thing right. And I would study the word of God. And I had a couple kids in my ministry. They were all punks. And I mean that in the literal sense that they were all black and pink and had been pierced with all this crazy stuff. And uh, I would just explain the Bible to them. And the more I'd explain the Bible to them, they'd say, I'm bringing a friend to this. I'm bringing a friend to this. And before I knew it, this ministry began to grow and flourish, not because I was brilliant, but just because I followed a simple path of, man, I'm gonna release worry, grab your word, and then I'm gonna walk it out and be a part of what you're doing in the world. What William Wilberforce called the joy of self-forgetting. Does this work? Let me end with this story. In 1993, Sergeant Strucker uh, was tasked with his army rangers uh, to capture a high-value target in Mogadishu, Somalia. And uh, it was supposed to take a few minutes. They, they were going to be dropped in with Black Hawk helicopters, grab a high-value target, and be dr driven out of the city of Mogadishu by Humvees led by Sergeant Strucker and his Humvee team. But as these U.S. soldiers flew over Somalia to try to stop this warlord who was using hunger as a weapon, one of those Black Hawk helicopters was shot down. And then another one crashed. And so suddenly something that was supposed to take minutes took hours. And as they began to get, load into these Humvees and try to escape, they began to take fire. And the first casualty in that battle happened next to Sergeant Strucker in his vehicle. He drove out and managed to survive the ordeal, make it back to a base. And when he arrived at that base, he was just thrilled he survived. His Humvee was covered with bullet holes. And as he got out of it, he was just so thankful to be alive. But his commanding officer came to him and said, hey, there are more men trapped in the city. You have to go back. 
And when he told him he had to go back, one of the special operators came to him and said, hey, you have to wash the blood out of the back of your Humvee. Uh, you, you can't put men in a Humvee filled with blood. It'll traumatize them. Wash the blood out, then go back into that city, into the firefight and rescue more men. And he said, as he tried to wash out that truck, he panicked. He said he freaked out. I can't go back. I'm going to die today. I can't go back. I'm going to die today. And he just kept thinking, this is going to be my blood. This is going to be my blood. This is going to be my blood. And he freaked out. And in that moment, he stopped. And he did what he only knew to do. He followed this program. He said, I did what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. I poured out my heart to the Lord. If there's any way out of this, Lord. But then I trusted him. But not my will, but yours be done. And he said, and as I prayed like that, like my Savior prayed, he said, suddenly a peace crept over me. God determines my future, no one else. God determines if I live or die, no one else. If I live through today, I get to go home to my wife and kids. If I die today, I go home to my Savior. Either way, I'm going home. And he said, when he thought that, a peace crept into his soul. He jumped back in the Humvee, drove into the city, loaded it up with men and drove back out. Then he did it again, and then he did it again. And after rescuing multiple men, he found later many of them just panic-stricken and traumatized by the experience. And they asked him, how were you so calm when the world was falling apart? And he got to tell them about a peace that surpasses understanding. They saw it in his life, and when they saw it, they saw Jesus. They saw what's possible when someone trusts God like that that this supernatural peace works even in the most dangerous of situations, but it's a peace available to us in Christ Jesus. John Patton was a great missionary from Scotland to the New Hebrides, right? I don't know if I said that right. But if you've ever uh, read his autobiography, it's like an action book. He went to, to minister among cannibals. And as he went among that, his book is crazy. The hatchets thrown at his head, gunfire, being almost killed multiple times. There was one day that his hut was surrounded by a hostile tribe who was ready to murder him. He knew there was no way out. And so in that moment, he prayed, made peace with God, walked out of the hut to this angry tribe, walked right up to them and rebuked them for their lack of hospitality. (laughs) He said, hey, trying to murder me? Rude. And you've been doing this since I got here. And you know what? It caught him off guard. They were like, you know, he's got a point. It is a little rude. And, uh, and frankly, we're sorry. And uh, we're going to stop. And uh, now we will kill all your enemies. And he's like, good. Well, no, no, no. That's not, that's a start. We'll take that as a start. But there was a moment in his book where he's uncertain if he's going to live or die. And, and so he climbs up into the branches of this tree. And he writes in his autobiography, I heard the frequent discharging of muskets, the yell of the savages, but I sat among those branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when that moonlit flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told my heart to Jesus, alone but not alone. And if it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling friendship. If thus thrown back on your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the jungle, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend who will not fail you then? Friend you do in Jesus Christ, who walked through the valley of the shadow of death and emerged the other side. Do you know him? 
If you do, then a peace that surpasses understanding is yours in him. So Father, I wanna thank you that you love us. I wanna thank you that you are gentle with us in our struggles, gentle with us in our suffering. Lord, if we're honest in here, all of us have things that worry us. Yet there's an invitation on the table to cast our cares onto you. And I just pray before tonight's over, Lord, that we would say yes. Yes to that invitation. Some of you in this room, your greatest concern or what should be is that you are not at peace with God because you're a sinner and that condemnation is still on you, but it need not be. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you could not, died the death you deserved so you could have peace with God in Jesus. Some of you, your step tonight is to say, Jesus, I'm clinging to you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you with my soul. I need you to rescue, redeem, adopt, save me. I need to be safe under the shadow of your wings. You come home tonight, brother and sister, please let us know. Let us pray with you. And others of you, there can be so many things we're anxious about. The health of a loved one, our own health the uncertainty of a future of a country or of a child. All manner of concerns. He cares about them all, big and small. It would honor the Lord tonight for you to cast your cares on him. Tell him right now. Speak them out. Say them out loud. Maybe for the first time ever. Speak them out. He knows them, but he wants to hear his child ask in faith. Would you be willing to cast your cares on the Lord and risk that this peace that passes understanding could be yours. If you need someone to pray with you, the prayer tent's open to my right, your left. Let someone pray with you about anything and then come back and join us to worship. I just invite all of you, let's process now. Let's deal honestly with the Lord. Let's invite him in knowing that the God of peace is with us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.